0: Hosea, the book of Hosea, chapter 7. Hosea, chapter 7. And we kind of got into about the first seven verses of this last week and uh, really looking at the depravity of Israel. Uh, Israel's depravity in this passage of Scripture, of course, understanding why. Uh, God is bringing judgment. He explains that judgment is going to come upon them uh, there in chapter six, and uh, really just really just showing us in chapter seven the whole, the, I mean just how depraved Israel was right and uh, we 'll begin reading in verse number one we 'll read through the whole chapter. and uh, I know we went through verses one through seven last week, but just to keep us aware of where we 're at, he says, "When I would have healed Israel." Then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered, and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood, and the thief cometh in, and the troop of robbers spoileth without, and they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about, they are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness, and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, as an oven heated by the baker, who ceaseth from raising after he hath kneaded the dough, until it be leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand with scorners, for they have made ready their heart like an oven. Whilst they lie in wait, their baker sleepeth all the night, and the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. "'Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. "'Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. "'And the pride of Israel testified to the face, "'and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. "'Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. "'They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. "'When they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. "'I will bring them down as the fowls of the heaven. "'I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard.'" Woe unto them, for they have fled from me, destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me, though I have redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They have not cried unto me with their heart when they howled upon their beds. They assemble themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. Though I have bound and strengthened their arms, yet do they imagine mischief against me. They return, but not to the Most High. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for, their, for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. So again, think about what we've, we were looking at here last week in the first seven verses. We, we saw, again, Israel's depravity. God said, look, I will heal you, but they would not be healed. They, they didn't want healing. They didn't want God to heal them. He said, look, if you would just turn and, and come to me, I would have healed you. And that's what, how he begins. When I would have healed Israel, Right. He says, I would have healed you. I, I would have taken care of you, but you didn't want it. They, they did not want to be healed, right? We, we kind of looked at that. You know, you have somebody that has a cure for a disease and you have someone that has the disease and they say, I want to be cured. And uh, the doctor says, all right, here's the cure. I have the cure for the disease. And the patient says, no, thank you. I don't want that. I want to be healed. It's kind of ludicrous, isn't it? And we're, we're just, we're going to see even how the Lord talks about how crazy this is, right? He said, oh, they, they said they want to be healed, but then when he offers healing, they didn't want it. They didn't want to be healed. In verses 4 through 7, he talks about how they were like a hot oven, right there there's uncontrollable desires okay uh the the adulterousness the the immorality that was there uh the drunkenness the the partying everything that was going on and again we think you know we think about you know partying and drunkenness and stuff like this you know here and maybe certain parts of our country whatever imagine the entire country being filled with this right the, the entire country filled with this drunken debauchery the entire country the the norm the norm is immorality. The norm is adultery. The norm is fornication. That's, that's the norm, right? And I, I know our country is kind of heading in that direction. There's no doubt about that. But but at least it's not the norm for the country yet. But it was for Israel. They, they were just, they, they, and that's what he says, they were, they were like a, a hot oven. Just the, the, the uncontrollable desires were there. But then as we come to, to verse number 8, and again, it's really interesting how God uses all these different, uh, these different metaphors, right? He says they're like a hot oven, right? And they're just uncontrollable, uh, uh, flame that, that they're uncontrollable desires. But then he uses another metaphor here, uh, in that they're half baked. You ever heard anybody say, you're just half baked, you know? Uh, that's what he, he says are you're half baked, right? Let I me mean, look in verse number eight. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Now, again, when you think about it, in those days when they would bake, that they didn't have really nice ovens and stuff like what we have today, and so many times they would actually cook on a, sto- on a stone. They would heat a stone, and then they would put the, uh, the, the bread or whatever on it, and as it would bake one side, then after a while they would have to turn it over and bake the other side, right? But he says, you didn't get turned. That's what he's saying here. You're, you're a cake not turned. In other words, one side of you got baked, the other side still raw, Now. Anybody want to eat that? No, of course not. You don't want to eat a raw, you know, that dough and that raw stuff. No, you don't want to eat that. But he said that's what they were. They were a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here, and upon him he knoweth not. And the pride of Israel testified to his face, and they do not return to the Lord, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim also, uh, uh, well, hold on, we're, we're going to get to that in a second, right? So he talks about them being this this cake that is, that is not turned, right? Um, they're just half-baked. Uh, and again, a, a half-baked cake—you're you're not going to pay for it. It's not—it's not worth eating. Um, and he's saying that's the same way that Israel was. They're just half-baked. They're not—they're not fully committed to the Lord. Again, they—they they had the the verbiage, right? They—they would—they would offer tithes. We saw that. They would sing praises. They, but yet they were just half-baked. Their, their heart was not in it. They were not fully committed to the Lord. Not only were they adulterous in going after false gods, but watch what he says here. He hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim hath mixed himself among the people. So yes, they were adulterous, spiritual adultery, in going after these false gods. But even by putting their trust in others, they were putting their trust in other countries, other nations right? If you go back to chapter 5, uh, in verse number 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then when Ephraim to God, no, the Assyrian, and sent to king Jesus, no, Jared, yet could, not, could he not heal you nor cure you of your wound. So they're, they're mixed in that they're, they're not Seeking after God. They're worshiping these other idols, but then also they're trusting in other nations. They were trusting in the Assyrians. They were trusting in the Egyptians, uh, to, to, to help them and, and to protect them and, and to, to, to fight their battles and things. And even they were intermarrying with other nations. Right? Again, when, remember when we come to the New Testament, you have not only the Jews and the Gentiles, but you have another And again, I don't want to use the word race because there's only one race of people, right? There's only one race. That is called the human race, okay? But there there were Jews and there were Gentiles, which I guess you could say Jews were nationally. That was a nationality. And then to the Jews, everyone else were Gentiles. It didn't matter if you were Babylonian or Assyrian or the Ammonites or whatever. You were just called Gentiles. That was everybody else, right? But there was a third group now when we come to the New Testament. What's this third group? Anybody know? What's this third group of people that we see in the New Testament? You have Jews and Gentiles. Of course, the Gentiles, that's the Romans and all those and everything. But who's this third group of people that we find? The what? The Samaritans. Who are the Samaritans? And why did the Jews hate them so much? I mean, it was one thing to hate the Gentiles. That was everybody else that wasn't a Jew. I mean, they they hated the Gentiles. But if there was someone they hated more than the Gentiles, it was the Samaritans. Why? Who were the Samaritans? Why did they hate the Samaritans so much? Because of what we just read here. He says, Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. What happened was when the Assyrians and the Egyptians and these other nations would come and they would help in things, what happens is that they would take husbands and wives of these other nations for themselves. Again, let, let's let's kind of let's we're going to be kind of frank here tonight, right? They they weren't concerned about who they had in Israel. That's pretty obvious in Hosea, right? Again, we're talking immorality was rampant okay adultery was rampant they didn't it didn't matter to them who they had so what difference does it make if we get somebody from another country too you see you see how it just continues to grow and grow and grow well if it, you know i yeah god said all right hey adultery is wrong but we're going to go ahead and we're going to break that command too we're going to break that we're going to go ahead and commit adultery and fornication and all of that and yeah i know god said that we're not supposed to we're not supposed to take uh wives or husbands from other nations but hey you know, what's what's with that what's what, what's up with that command too? And so they begin to intermarry, they begin to mix themselves among the people. They begin to intermarry, which is where we get the new the Samaritans in the New Testament, which is why the, the Samaritans knew they were hated. That's why when in John chapter four, when Jesus comes to the 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 the, the well there, the Samaritan woman is there, she says, Why are you talking to me? I know what you think of me. I know you hate me. I know you think I'm worse than the Gentiles. Why? Because they were mixed. They were were not pure Jew. They were not pure Hebrews, right? And so because they were not pure Jews, they were of mixed blood. They were despised. They were considered like dogs. They, They were nothing. And that's why, Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? She's a Samaritan. She said, why are you talking to me? I know what what your people think of me. I'm a Samaritan. You you hate us. Well, Jesus says, I don't. Jesus shows her that he loved her and that he not only loved the Jews and the Gentiles, but the Samaritans as well. And through that woman, right, what happens? You have a whole city coming to know Christ. Many of those people came out to to hear Christ, and, and he spent days there in that city of Samaria. This is what's what's really interesting here. Remember what we're talking about here? The, The Samaria here in Israel was the, it was the royal city. It was where all of this drunken debauchery and where everything was, this was the example that was being set for the rest of the country. And now a couple hundred years later, Jesus comes and he meets this woman at the well who was, a descendant of all that took place hundreds of years earlier. And he meets this woman at the well who's a Samaritan from Samaria. And she comes to know Christ and she goes back to Samaria and she says, you got to come and meet Jesus. And she brings many people and testifies about what has happened to her. And many people come out from Samaria that had been this royal city of debauchery and wickedness and sinfulness. And she brings them out and they get to know the true king. They get to know Jesus. But this is what he's talking about here. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. By the way, this is one of the reasons why, just as God had told Israel, God tells us as believers that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be in the world, right? We are there's no doubt we are living in the world, but we're not to be of the world We're not to be partaking in all of the things that the world does the, the wickedness and the sinfulness that the world does We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world We we're living here. There's no doubt about it, right? We're here Until the lord takes us home. We're here But what are how are we supposed to be living? We're supposed to be living christ-like We're supposed to be living like jesus so that people can see a difference in our lives how is Israel living just like the world? They were living like the world. There was no difference. And he says they, they've mixed themselves. They're, they're, like a, they're like a half-baked cake. They're, they're a cake unturned. That's why even in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells us that we are to be separate. He says, be separate from the world, right? Come out from among them and be separate. Once we come to know Christ, we shouldn't have the same desire to live the, the way that the world lives. We shouldn't have that desire. The, the, the wickedness, the sinfulness. Now, look, that doesn't, and, and, and this is what so many times people think, the only way you can have fun is if you're living in sin. And they think, well, if you, if you become a Christian, then, then you're going to miss out on all the fun. You're not going to be able to have fun anymore because you're not going to be able to, to party and you're not going to be able to do all this kind of stuff. Well, why is it that we think that you can only have fun if you're sinning? I mean, who came up with that? Really, who came, who came up with that? I'll tell you who did. The devil did. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Yet half God said, has God really said that you can, man, I'm telling you, doesn't God say that when you get saved, you can't do this, and 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 you can't do, this, you can't do Man, you're just going to have a miserable life. And he gets us to think, oh, man, he must be right. God doesn't want me to be happy. I'm just saying I have a miserable life. If I'm going to follow Jesus, it's going to be miserable. Well, who's telling you that? It's not the Lord. That's the devil telling you that. Look, you find people that are truly following the Lord. By the way, can I tell you something? Maybe I'm getting off here a little bit. But can I tell you? the most miserable Christians I know are those that are not following the Lord. Those are the most miserable ones that are there the ones that aren't following the Lord, the ones who said, you know, you know, I just think, you know, I'm, I really want to have fun, and so they're going to go back to the world. They're the ones that are the most miserable. Why? Because they know that's not where they're supposed to be. That's not where God wants them to be. God wants them to be over here, to be separate from the world. Yes, we are living in the world. We're to be that light, that example, but we're not supposed to be doing the same things the world is doing. And we've believed this lie that somehow by following Jesus, that we're going to be the most miserable people that there ever was. No. You you look at people who love the Lord. You look at people who really are following the Lord Jesus Christ. They're some of the most happy, joyful people. Now, I wish I could say that about every Christian. It's unfortunate that we can't. I wonder, what what would people say about you? Again, this isn't a test tonight, right? But what would people say about you? Would they say that you're a happy Christian or would they say you're a miserable Christian? Would they say you're, you're, you're joyful or would they say that, man, every time they see you, you just look like the world's just beat you up and you're frowning and you're just, you know. Because, again, how we, what we portray to the world is what they see of Christ. No wonder why there are so many times people say, I don't want to have anything to do with, what, with that Christian Christian. I don't want to have anything to do with that type of Christianity. I mean, look at this person. They're miserable. They can never smile. They can never, they're never happy. They're never joyful. Just saying, that's what he says here, right? They had, they had mixed themselves among the people. They were this half baked cake. Maybe that's some of our problems. We're just half baked. I can tell my dad's like, I can go with them. I can go with a message on this. You're a bunch of half baked Christians. A bunch of half-baked Christians, right? I would just like to know how many messages I have given him through my messages. That's what I'd like to know. (laughs) Amen. He says they're half-baked, right? Now watch what he says in verse 9. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Sound familiar? Does that sound like somebody maybe we've read about before? Strangers have devoured their strength, and ye know it not. Who does that sound like? Anybody come to mind? Maybe that sounds like in the Bible. Maybe a guy by the name of Samson who had unimaginable strength, who could rip the, the, the gates off of a city and take him on his back and carry him up a hill and plant up there. I mean, this guy had unimaginable strength. And yet when Delilah cut his hair off, what happened? He's like, I'm going to go out and fight the Philistines as before. And he didn't even know he had lost his strength. He had no idea, right? And I know sometimes we get this idea that Samson was, you know, this, this guy that was just ripped and he had muscles bulging and he looked like me, you know, and uh, how rude, <laughs> rude. I mean, we think he's just like this huge, you know, hulk of a man. I don't think that was what Samson looked like because he didn't even realize he had lost his strength. Because his strength wasn't the physical aspect of look at the muscles that I had. It was an unnatural strength. It was a strength. It wasn't natural. When people looked at Samson, they didn't think, oh, man, this guy could kill a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. They're like, this guy would be easy to take. But yet when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he had this unnatural strength that he was able to do these incredible things. And so when he got up, he didn't look any different. And he goes out and says, I'm going to fight him like I've done before. And he didn't even know. He didn't even realize. And he says, this is what happens: Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. They had given so much of themselves to these other nations, thinking that these other nations were going to protect them, thinking that these other nations were going to provide for them. And he says, you don't even realize your strength is gone. You have no strength anymore. You have no power. These other nations that you have given themselves to, they control you. And you don't even know it. That's what he says. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. He says, <laughs> he says you're old and you don't know it. Again, he's not, he's not meaning this in a, in a negative way towards old people. He's just saying... You think you're still young. You think you're still powerful. You think you're still mighty. But, but you have gotten old. You, you, the gray hairs are there. You're, you're weak. You're feeble. And you don't even realize it. You don't even know it. You, it you, you're, not, you're not willing to, to see what is there. He says in verse number 10, And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face. And they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Their pride. God said, it's your pride that is bringing you to your knees. It's your pride that is bringing this destruction upon you. He says that it's right there in front of you. The pride of Israel testifieth to his face. He said, it's it's right there. It's like you're looking in a mirror and you're not even seeing yourself. It's like you're seeing some other person. It's pride. The Bible speaks about pride. The Bible says in Proverbs, or Psalms chapter 10, and verse number 4, the, the wicked, through pride, will not seek after God. Not, the wicked aren't going to seek after God in their pride. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God said it's pride that is bringing you to your knees. In Ezekiel 28, and verses uh, 12 to 15, it's really interesting. Turn over here with me. Ezekiel chapter. 28, just back a little bit. Of course, I I know we're probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 12 and or Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 to 14, where the Bible speaks about how Lucifer has fallen, right? He talks about Lucifer has fallen, but here in Ezekiel, we get a little bit more in depth of what happened. And again, this is kind of a uh, this is kind of a twofold prophecy. It's dealing with an actual king by the name of uh, of uh, the king of Tyre, but also in this we are seeing that he's also referencing Lucifer. Right? Look in uh, Ezekiel chapter twenty eight, verse number twelve. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now watch, watch how this now opens up to Lucifer. Right. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Back in Genesis, right? Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. He's talking about the beauty of, of Lucifer Lucifer was the, the, the most beautiful, the most powerful angel that God created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. I like that God puts that little part in there, right? Thou wast the anointed cherub that covereth, and then God says, and I set thee so. I was the one that did that. I made you. I gave you the power. I gave you the beauty. I gave you the position, right? Sometimes we think it's all about me. Look at what I've done by the way, that's what, that's what happened with Lucifer. We're going to see that in a second. But God says, I put you there, right? I set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. Now watch. Till iniquity was found in thee. What iniquity was found in him? Again, when we go back to Isaiah chapter 12, it talks about that pride. I will be like the most high God. I'm not content to be what God made me to be. I'm going to be God. That's pride. That's pride. And this is what he's saying here in Hosea. He's saying, look, it is your pride that is bringing you to destruction. Your pride and your lack of desire to return to God. He says your pride and they do not return to the Lord their God nor seek him for all this. In all of this, God says, you're, you're, you're a half-baked, you're, 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 your desires are so, uh, just so incredible, they're, they're uncontrollable, I've offered to heal you, you've said you want to be saved, I said I could save you, then you say, no, we don't want to be saved. He says, and in all of this, you still will not return, you still won't return. Watch what he says in verse number 11, In not only, again, he uses another metaphor here, Um." Of a, of a silly dove. So he says they're half-baked, but then he also says they're, they're gullible, right? They're gullible. Look in verse number 10. And the pride, or excuse me, verse number 11. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. And they call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. When they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. I will bring them down as the fowls of the, the heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard. In this where he says Ephraim is like a silly dove. Many times we think of the word silly, the way we use the word silly as being kind of funny, right? If a kid does something, oh, that was, that was silly. You're so silly. You know, you're just so silly, right? It's kind of, it's kind of more of a funny thing, right? Oh, you're just, you're funny. But that's not what the word silly meant. He's not saying you're a funny dove, No, no. In fact, the the Hebrew word is the word "pata." It means simple. It means gullible. uh, It means easily deceived. In fact, even if you go to Webster's 1828 dictionary, it means weak in intellect. So, again, if you're saying, oh, you're so silly. What are you saying? They're dumb? Right? That's what the word means. It means weak in intellect. Foolish. Witless. Destitute of ordinary strength of mind. Simple. He's saying that you're, you're simple. You're gullible. You're, you're, you're weak in intellect. You're easily deceived. He says you're like, a, you're like an easily deceived dove. You're like this gullible dove. Without heart. That phrase without heart means without sense. You have no sense. You have no common sense. You're not even thinking. You're not thinking straight. Again, they're, they're like this witless dove. You're not thinking straight. Right? And he shows them. What does he say? They call to Egypt. They call to Assyria. He said, this is... And again, it's, it's like, are you even thinking? You're calling to Egypt to rescue you? The ones that a couple hundred years ago had you in bondage? And that wanted to kill you? You're calling to them? Who delivered you from them? I did. You're, you're, you're wanting to go to Assyria and make a league with Syria? And again, if, if you if you look at this passage, you'll find out. As again, as we began Hosea, remember we talked about how that this this book of Hosea, it's it's not all happening at one time. This is happening over uh, almost seventy years that the book of Hosea is being written. So before, as Hosea began, he's talking about the judgment that is going to come, right? But now, as we're coming to this point of chapter seven, um, it, it has to do with. Um, during it, well, go back to the book of 2 Kings with me. In the book of 2 Kings, it, it, it shows us this, right? Because think about what he just said. You're calling to Egypt. You're going to Assyria. You're trying to find somebody to help you, right? He says, go to 2 go to Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. So this is in the in the, the reign of Hosea, which was the last king of Israel, right? And he says, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Again, every king of Israel was bad. Now, not Judah. Remember, we were talking about two divided kingdoms here. Every king of Israel was bad, right? But watch what he says. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. So here's Assyria. They're coming against the king. And Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. So Hosea says, hey, you know, we, we submit, right? We're going to give you presents not to attack us, okay? Not to kill us. And the king of Syria, so this is a little bit later, and the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt. Wait, isn't that what we just read? In Hosea? Now again, Hosea is not Hosea. Two different guys here, okay? Hosea is the king of Israel. Hosea is the prophet, okay? I know it sounds similar. But he says, look, you're calling, for, you're calling to Egypt. You're going to Assyria. He says, this is what happened. The king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria, and besieged it three years in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Halah and in Haber by the river of Gozin and in the cities of the Medes. This is this is what this is the time period we're looking at right here. This is what's happening in the book of Hosea right now. He's you're, saying, you're, you're calling to Egypt to rescue you from Assyria because you made this league with Assyria and said, hey, don't hurt us. We'll give you presents. And then you, you betrayed them and went to Egypt and said, hey, come and help us. And then Assyria found out about it. And now they're really mad. And now they're going to come and kill you. Why is this happening? You brought it on yourself. He says, you've brought all of this on yourself. Again, this is what he says you're like a silly dove. You're. You don't even have common sense to realize neither of these two countries care about you. Neither of these two countries want to see anything good happen to you. Sound familiar? Like what we've been seeing in the book of Hosea? With Gomer going out and Hosea's trying to say, hey, wh- what are you doing? These, these other men don't care about you. These other, these other people don't care about you. I'm the one that cares about you. I'm the one that loves you. Israel thinks, oh, these care about us. They're, they're, they're protecting us. They're providing for us. God says, I'm providing for you. Do, do your gods bring the rain? Do, do your gods make these crops grow? No, that's me. Hosea follows Gomer. And Gomer's thinking What? It's all these other men that are providing for her, all these other men that are meeting her needs, not knowing that it's Hosea that's been following her, making sure that her needs have been met. You're like a silly dove. You're, you're, you're witless. You can't, even, you can't even see the truth. You, you just lack common sense if you'd realize these two nations care nothing about you. And yet, you won't call upon the Lord. You won't return to the Lord. Well, look what he says in verse number 12. When they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. I will bring them down as the fowls of heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard. You know what's going to happen? You're going to go. You're going to be taken captive. And God said, I'm going to use them to chastise you. I'm going to use them to bring the judgment upon you. And by the way, notice what he says. As their congregation hath heard. You know what God's saying? This was not a secret that it was coming. I have sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. Hosea and Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah. He said, I've sent these prophets. I've sent these prophets. I've sent these prophets. And I've told you, you either need to repent and come back to God or judgment's going to happen. He said, you have heard. And you didn't care. You've heard that it was coming. You heard what was going to happen and you ignored it. God had warned them of coming judgment. And they just said, ah. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. We've got, we've got Assyria. We've got Egypt. They really, they really love us. I mean, good old so down in Egypt, he's going to come to our rescue. Yeah, what happened? You got taken captive. Your people were destroyed. Look what he says. I will bring them down as the fowls of the heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard. And again, he, he just he kind of sums it up in, in the last few verses here. They totally rejected God. Completely, totally said, God, we want nothing to do with you. Nothing. Look what he says in verse 13. Woe unto them. And by the way, the word woe means judgment. For they have fled from me. Notice, it wasn't that they just turned. It wasn't like, okay, God's here. No, we're not going to do that. No, they fled. They ran away from him. Totally, completely, running away from God. They fled from me, he says. Destruction unto them. Why? Because they have transgressed against me. They ran away. They've transgressed. Look what he says. Though I have redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. I'm the one that redeemed them. I'm the one that brought them out. I mean, Micah Micah 6.4 talks about that. Again, we don't have time to turn there. But he talks about how God is the one that redeemed them out of Egypt and brought them out and saved them. And God provided for them and God protected them and God brought them into the promised land and God fought their battles for them. And God said, I have redeemed you. And you've turned around and lied about it and said, I didn't. You've turned around and said, I don't care about you. You've turned around and said, I didn't provide for you. I didn't protect you. You have lied against me, he says. They've spoken lies against me, and I was the one that redeemed them. <laughs> you see how he's saying? You're just like silly doves. You're half-baked. How can you say? How can you say this about me when I am the one that has done this for you? I redeemed you. I provided for you. And then you turn around and say that I, you lie against me? Verse 14, they've not cried unto me with their heart when they howled upon their beds. They assembled themselves for corn and wine and they rebel against me. They, they, they cried unto the Lord. They, they cried out, but not with their heart. So what did they do? Watch what he says. They cried not unto me with their heart when they howled upon their beds. Why they're howling upon their beds? The word howl means mournful cries. Why are, they, why are they having mournful cries and wailing? Well, because of judgment. The Assyrians are coming and they're destroying people. The, the Egyptians, they're destroying people. They're killing people. Oh, and now they're crying out because of the pain that they're going through. Now they're 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 crying out because because of the you know the, the the difficulties that they're going through. But again, this is what he says but you're not crying out with your heart. It's, it's just like what we, we talked about before. I want to be saved, but I don't want to be saved. Right? They're, they're crying out with their they're crying out and saying, Oh, we're we're going through suffering, we're going through pain, we're going through difficulty, but not with their heart. How many times have, have we have we caught our children telling a lie or doing something that they weren't supposed to do, and they said, "Oh, I'm so sorry." I, I don't treat your brother that way. I, you just kicked him. I saw you kick him for no reason. You just pff, kicked him. Now tell him you're sorry. Sorry. Right. Now tell me they were sorry sorry what were they sorry for I'm sorry because I got to say this I'll kick you again though they're just sorry because they got caught and they got to say they're sorry there, there's nothing in their heart there's no, there's no real heartfelt oh I truly am sorry that I kicked you no it's not there they're saying sorry but there's nothing in their heart that's what Israel was doing oh we're going through heartaches and we're going through difficulties and we're going through problems and, and we're being destroyed but it wasn't coming from their heart they were just sorry because they were going through pain. They weren't sorry that they had turned away from God. They were sorry for the consequences they were experiencing, not for what they had done. But surely they're going to turn. <laughs> they assembled themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. <laughs> they come for corn and wine from their false gods. They they come to their false gods saying, hey, you're supposed to provide for us. When these false gods, these these idols, they, they can't do anything. They can't hear. They can't speak. They can't do anything. But yet they expect them to provide for them. And they rebel against me, the creator of the universe. Though I have bound and strengthened their arms, yet do they imagine mischief against me. When they were weak, who was it that strengthened them? God. When they were nothing, when they were slaves in Egypt, who was it that showed his power against the Egyptian gods and delivered them? And when they came to the Red Sea, who was it that showed his power against the Egyptian army? It was God. And, and then he says, and you go to these statues... You go to these false images, and you expect them to provide corn and wine? You expect them to provide the the things that you need? And yet you rebel against me? You're half-baked. You're a silly dove. They return but not to the Most High. They're like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. He said, oh, you've, you've said you're, you're returning. You're crying out. You're saying you're sorry, but you're not returning to the Most High. You're not returning to me. You're just trying to get out of the problems that you've made for yourself. You don't really care to return to me. And he says you you're, you're you're so depraved. Now now look again. I, I don't know how many times I've said this. We can we can get onto Israel and we can we can look down at them and say how 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 silly could they be? How half baked could they be? Well, let's, let's kind of be honest here tonight. How many times have we been half-baked? How many times have we acted like silly, witless doves? And we look at the world and we listen to the lies of the world and we listen to the lies of the devil and think that, oh, the world has the answers. The world has what's really great for us. The world is the one that has the answers for us. Wait a minute. Who saved you? Who has given you a home in heaven with him for all of eternity? Who has provided blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing? It wasn't the world. It wasn't the devil. It's our Lord. And yet we rebel against him. We get upset at him because of the mess that we make. And then the consequences we experience, we get mad at God. When God says, look, this is just of your own making. You're, you're in this because of what you have done. You see, it's, it's really easy to get down on Israel. It's really easy to get down on people in the Bible because we can look at them like, well, how, how dare they? How, could they? how could they not follow God? Well, that's a good question. How could we not follow God? How could we not realize that he is the one who has provided for us? He is the one that saved us. And it's not say, Lord, whatever you want, it's yours. However, you want me to live my life. Lord, it's your life anyway. So, Lord, you tell me what to do. But instead, we get the same mentality as Israel. Hey, this is my life. I, get, I want to live it the way I want it. And, and the world, I, Lord, I know you said, you know, we're, you should stay away from some of these things. But, man, look at everybody else. They're having so much fun in it. Look, look, how, look how they're enjoying all these, these pleasures of sin. Look how, look how they're doing this. We want some of that too because, I mean, after all, if we don't have those, then we're not going to be happy. And we just run away from God. It's not just turning away from Him. We run away from Him. Just like Israel did. They, they fled from before me, He said. But I'm so thankful for verse number one. Because he said, when I would have healed Israel. He said, I wanted to heal you. And if you would have accepted my healing, I would have healed you. And God says, you know what, if you'll, if you'll come to me. First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, if you'll, just, if you'll just stop what you're doing and repent of your sin and come back to me, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. But Yet so many times we just keep running. We just keep going. No, that's, that's where we're going to find real happiness. That's where we're going to find real joy. That's where real success is going to come from. God says, okay, but you're half baked, okay? But you're 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 like a silly dove, and if you keep going that way, guess what's going to happen? Discipline. Because if we're God's child, He said He's going to discipline us. It's going to come, and He's told us it's going to come. But somehow we think, well, you know, I'll, I'll I just, I, I won't, I'll escape it. <laughs> No, you won't. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to start howling like they were howling. But I wonder if the howling like, is it really because we recognize that we have run away from God and we're repenting of that? Or are we just howling because we're upset that we got caught and now we're having to deal with the consequences? It's so much better to just say, Lord, you know what? I've been going down this the wrong way. And I recognize that. And before I get any farther down the road, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to come back to you. And I'm going to admit that you were right, and I was wrong. And Lord, I'm going to follow you. Can I say, it's much, much better to do that than to keep on running. And you know what's wonderful? He tells us in James, if we'll come back to him, He'll welcome us with open arms. He'll receive us back. But we've got we've to make that first step and stop and turn around and say, you're right, Lord, and I was wrong, and I don't want to keep going this way, and I need to repent, and I need to turn to you. It's not just Israel. That's why I say going through these books, it's, it's applicable for today. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would, Lord, just work in our hearts tonight. Lord, would you help us to realize that, Lord, we are just like Israel so often. Our flesh and our desires burn uncontrollably. We're half-baked. We're like silly doves not even using common sense to recognize Lord you're the one that saved us from our sin Lord you're the only one that has the power and yet so often we turn and run from you and so father I pray tonight that you would just work in our hearts this evening Lord maybe we've started down a road that we shouldn't be going and Lord tonight maybe we just need to stop and say Lord you're right And I'm wrong, and I need to turn around and repent of my sin and come back to you. And Lord, knowing that you will receive us and accept us and forgive us. Lord, there are going to be consequences if we keep going. Lord, there might be some that are already experiencing some of those consequences. Lord, may we not get angry at you because we got caught. Lord, may we truly desire to repent of our sin and to turn to do that which is pleasing to you. I wonder tonight, with their heads bowed and eyes closed.